welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I'm so glad you're here. It's time for episode seven, Beauty and the Beast. A long time favorite. I mean, like forever. But I realized during this latest viewing that I maybe might have some serious issues with it. What does this mean? It means that I now know that a character that loves to read isn't necessarily a good character and that being presented with the beautiful home library might just be a doorway to Stockholm Syndrome. In fact, after this last viewing, I feel like my eyes were finally opened after being kidnapped by this movie and I was seeing the situation for what it is. It's, it's wrong. And I don't blame the beast, which is interesting. I mean, sure, there's issues there, but you know, he is a victim as well. No, I blame that horrid, crusty beggar woman who came to a stranger's door in the dead of night and left not only the owner of the house, but all of the people who work for him, subject to just a a horrific curse where the ends just don't justify the means. Oh, guys, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep this list to 10. In fact, I know I'm not going to be able to keep this list to 10. Fair warning. There are many a plot hole to entangle and toxic masculinity to confront. A quick reminder, though, before we get things kicked off in a big way and I get, you know, lost in my frustrations, that if you want to watch along with me, you totally can. And by watching along, I mean watching 48 animated Disney movies as a part of my summer reading challenge. There's a printable copy of the challenge list available on my newsletter, Just Keep Swimming, on Substack or in the show notes. Any particular one you think I should discuss in future episodes, be sure to let me know. But before we dive into things, a story, because you know that's where we always start. One day, when I was pretty little, and I have no idea how old I was, I mean, I was probably in elementary school, I was watching TV with my mother when she switched the channel to Ice Castles, the 1978 romantic drama about a young and gifted ice skater who loses her sight after an accident. She falls on the ice. So we're sitting there watching the movies the movie and this guy comes on the screen and I was completely convinced in that moment that that man on the TV was my father. Not that my actual father wasn't in fact my father, but that my father himself was in the movie. My mom then had to gently explain to me that no, that wasn't my dad. That guy was Robbie Benson. He's an actor. He just kind of looks like my dad or a younger version of my dad that I had seen in pictures. But you know, that moment has never left me. And while I don't think they look very much alike now, and they definitely don't sound alike, every time I see or hear the beast, I think of my father. I mean, a teeny tiny part of me still just likes to believe it's him. I think that's maybe another reason why I've always loved Beauty and the Beast. So let's let's recap. Until Tangled, it was one of my favorite Disney movies. It was my favorite Disney movie. One, because Belle liked to read. Two, because there was a beautiful library in the castle she came to live in. And three, that I once believed the voice actor of The Beast and my father were the same person. Now with those criteria, it's not surprising maybe that Beauty and the Beast has been dethroned as one of my favorites. (laughs) Or at at least at the top of the list, it's still still probably number two or three. Um, But it's interesting how my feelings about it have changed when thinking that the three things I loved were Three things that don't really hold a lot of weight anymore. Off topic, the lead actress in Ice Castles, and no, I'm not about to say that I thought it was my mother. Her name is Lynn Holly Johnson. 
She was in another Disney movie, a movie that still gives me the heebie-jeebies today, The Watcher in the Woods. Have you seen this one? I checked it out from the library not too long ago, and it still just absolutely terrifies me. It has Betty Davis in it, which might be one of the reasons why it's so scary. You know, her gravelly voice. And then there's an alien encounter. Aliens. You guys, aliens. That's a spoiler, but it's aliens at the end. But anyway, I, I watched it at a middle school slumber party with my cousin. I used to spend the night with her all the time. And if I remember correctly, we had to have a trusted adult come down to check all of the nooks and crannies of the basement before we could even attempt to go to sleep. Just always scared me. It should be of no surprise that if that movie scares me, I don't watch scary movies to this day. I mean, The Watcher in the Woods, Woods and Poltergeist. That's all it took to turn me off of horror forever. Anywho, we've gotten way off topic. Back to animated Disney movies and a rather lengthy list of opinions. But first, an overly simplified summary of Disney's animated classic feature, Beauty and the Beast. A young girl, a haughty girl, discontented with her life, trades her freedom for her father's after he mistakenly stumbles into an enchanted castle and is taken captive. The girl, seemingly unfazed by random speaking housewares, falls in love with her captive, inadvertently inspires a mob, and marries a prince. Ah, <sighs> I fear we're back to the negative, dear listeners. But unlike with Snow White, I know I have things I love, and I will try to throw them in if I can, if I don't get just stuck in the frustrations. Are we ready for the list? Let's go. As a quick side note, I was looking at how many bulleted items I had during my note-taking phase of the viewing that I explained last week, there was 32 of them. <laughs> I promise we will not be going over every single one. I won't do that to you. But there is more than 10. I'm just going to warn you. Number one. Okay, as mentioned earlier, the curse seems completely disproportionate to the crime, at least for the story we are hearing, especially for first impressions, repeat offenses. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, if it happens more than once, but let's just set the scene. You're in your own home, minding your own business, and you get a knock on the door very late at night, in the dead of night. You don't know who it is. You open the door. It's a complete stranger, and they are asking to come in and want something from you. Do you do, you do that? I, I, I wouldn't do that. I, if, if we follow this logic, then I would be a beast right now, and I'm going to die one probably because I'm just too lazy to go you know, find someone that could break the curse, but... It just seems unfair and that it not only happened to this young prince who might have been a horrible human being, I don't know, but you also just start to think, what could he have possibly said to her to show such disgust for her at her ugliness? And he, they make you believe he's pretty young. Was his brain fully formed? Where were his parents? Why did everybody have to fall prey to the the curse. I don't understand that. Why did Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. I almost said Butterworth. That's not right. Mrs. Potts and Chip. Why are they all victims too? Number two, and how does the antidote to the curse match the initiating circumstance? And I don't know if antidote's the right word. The thing that will break the curse. Is that an antidote? We're just going to, we're going to go with it. So it wasn't like she came to the door, this crone who is an enchantress in disguise, comes to the door and is, ends up with a broken heart. He doesn't break her heart for some reason. So why does he have to find romantic love as a monster? Isn't the loyalty and affection of his servants enough? And 
could this have possibly been a Penelope situation? Have you seen Penelope with Christina Ricci? Oh, it's such a good movie. James McAvoy. Oh, if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. If you like rom-coms, it'll just be right up your alley. And there's magic. If, if you're listening to this and love Disney movies, you obviously love magic, even though I don't fully understand it. Um, but is it a situation like in Penelope where the curse could have been broken if the beast had just learned to love himself? That I mean, I, that maybe would have made for a short movie, but Penelope had to go through the whole movie, so maybe not. I don't know. Number three, Belle is kind of horrible. I mean, she's very judgy. Little people, she sings about little people in her town in her first song, Belle. Rude. Who does she think she is? I mean, no wonder she doesn't really have any friends in town and they think she's odd. When you go around using provincial, almost like a slur, oh, these poor little country people here. Th that's not endearing to the townsfolk. It's no no surprise that she <laughs> she hasn't made a lot of friends. She's kind of just awful. Number four, but all the feels, all the feels. While Belle is trying to tell the baker about her book and he just, he does not care. He's like, I've got things to do, woman. Why are you telling me about this book? I don't care about fiction. I mean, this has happened to me many a time. I mean, just about every day. I'm talking about something that I absolutely love and people just don't want to hear about it. I just, I loved that. Thought it was a great inclusion. So that's something I loved, see? But what about this book? Is, is, is it a bookstore or is it a library? I mean, Belle, if it's a bookstore, Belle is a horrible customer. She doesn't pay for any of them. She just takes the book, reads them, and brings them back. So which then makes me think it's a library, but I don't think it is. I, I, I don't know how this book owner... This bookstore owner stays afloat um, if he's just giving things away. And this book she's reading, I mean, one, I kind of wish it had been a herd of goats that came around her at the fountain instead of sheep, because that would have been awesome. But this this book, she says that they fi she finds out that it's Prince Charming in Chapter 3. I mean, that seems kind of quick. I mean, what, where's the building of tension in this book? What is this book? I wonder if it was based on a real book. Hmm. Curious minds want to know. Number five. Lost my place, guys. Number five. Who can stand Gaston? I mean, LaFou deserves better. Do you think Gaston maybe tried to make it in a bigger town and then realized he wasn't as wonderful as he thought he was? So he's like, I'll just go back to my little provincial town and be the big fish in a, in a small pond. I just, I kind of wonder about that. If he ever tried to strike out and just couldn't cut it somewhere else, maybe. Number six. The castle wasn't too far away. I mean, the townspeople managed to walk there in less than an evening, and Belle catches up to the mob, leaving late. She has to break out of the wagon thingy, and or is it the basement? I can't remember now. But she's she leaves after everybody, right? And yet she gets to the castle at the end of the movie before the fight is over. I mean, Gaston and, and the Beast are just starting their tumble. So, yeah, that sounded weird. <laughs> Not their tumble. Their, their brawl. Their brawl. Yet there's no legend, no lore, no tales are shared about the strange castle in the woods or a giant beast roaming the forest. So you could maybe believe that it's enchanted, but if it's enchanted, how does Maurice just accidentally stumble upon it? That doesn't make sense either. Why doesn't anybody know about this castle and this beast? Number seven, the enchantment is strange. Um, why did the Adam, why did Adam the prince become a beast, a creature, but then all of the other people in the castle ended up being housewares? 
or um, some form of object. And how is anything getting done when there are no when no one has hands? Mrs. Potts and be our guest thinks about folding the napkins. Who's folding these napkins? No one has hands. And why are so many napkins being folded for one person for dinner? I mean, is Belle just an exceptionally messy eater? Number eight. So Belle was walking around town. We're going to talk about the weather here really quickly. Belle was walking around town with her sleeves rolled up that morning, right? But by evening, it's full-on snowstorm. What's going on in France at this time? What's up with the weather? (laughs) It, It just... I I mean, I know I live in Indiana, and I can see all four seasons in a day, but that doesn't happen too often. It's usually just on the cusp of spring, and we'll get some spring, and then it'll be winter again really quickly. But it it just fluctuates a lot. It's spring, and then it's winter, and then by the end, they're all, it's sunny, and it's blue skies again, and green grass, and everything seems to be fine. So just when Belle is kidnapped, it's wintertime. Interesting. Number nine. Oh, Gaston. We're back to Gaston. I'm sorry, because he really is the worst. And he's also just a textbook definition of toxic masculinity. It's interesting to me that they really did not give him any redeeming characteristics. Actually, now that I think about it, most Disney villains do not have any redeeming characteristics. They're very one-sided. It's just they're evil and that is it. And he is just awful. I mean, I guess he's a good poster boy for how not to be a man. Maybe that's why he's the way he is. I mean, okay, well, let's look at the list of symptoms. We're going to call them symptoms of toxic masculinity. Aggression, check. Sexual aggression or control, check. Hyper competitiveness, check. Needing to dominate or control others, check. A tendency towards or glorification of violence, check. Low empathy, check. Entitlement, check. Chauvinism and sexism, check. I mean, it's like they took this particular list and were like, let's just give him all of these and just make him the worst. What's really funny is if you Google Gaston toxic masculinity, I mean, just do it sometime and check out the long list of articles and blog posts written about the subject. It's fascinating. Number 10. It always just surprises me when characters take legit you know, just take legit magic in stride when they don't come from a magical world. I mean, there is no magic happening in Belle's town, her little provincial town. Nothing um, unusual is going on, really, except that everybody just loves this horrible man that lives in town. But then she ends up at this castle and walking around in these dark hallways is a candlestick with live flame just dancing around on its wax. And it's singing to you about dinner and she just, she just acts like it's absolutely nothing. I, I don't think I would react the same. I think I would probably have to be locked up if all of a sudden my clock is singing to me. But something I love, the song Be Our Guest. I mean, it's probably, it's the second best song. I'll I'll talk about my favorite song at the end, but second best song in the whole movie. Fantastic. A lot of um, drama, very Broadway theater-esque, which is a lot of fun. And if you ever do get the chance to see the musical version um, in Hollywood studios, they do Beauty and the Beast. It's pretty good. They get very creative on how they do that song, which is fun. Number 11. Okay. Okay. The West Wing, number 11, and not the TV show, which is awesome. But this, this one spot in this giant castle that the Beast has asked Belle not to go to. So let's just, let's talk about this a little bit. You are in someone else's home. You don't really know them well. 
and um, you're kind of nervous about being there anyway. He's scary. He's big. There's magic. Things are talking to you that shouldn't be talking to you. And what do you do? You decide to not listen to this person that is kind of scary and go immediately to the one place you were asked not to go to. I mean, just think about this. If you were to go to somebody's house, uh, a friend's home, and they're like, you know what? Don't go down into the basement. I've got some stuff happening down there. Just don't go down to the basement. At the first opportunity, would you go down there if they had asked you not to go down there? No, you wouldn't because you were a civilized human being. I mean, what is wrong with Belle? Why is she's just Miss Nosy Pants? She's looking for trouble. The Beast had absolutely every reason to be upset that she found her way to the West Wing. And I mean, he she deserved to get yelled at. I, I think he was justified in his reaction to that. Number 12. Now, I know the whole point of the story is that inner beauty is important. Beasts' looks are taken away, if you want to call them that. More on that later. And he has to figure out how to make what is inside his heart count. But I just, I don't know if it would happen that fast. It would not happen that fast, especially if you had been basically kidnapped and locked away. You would just not be like, oh, you saved me from wolves. Thank you. I think I'm going to fall in love with you now. That's not how it works, really, is it? And you also think Belle, really, the day before, was just singing a song about wanting adventure in the great wide somewhere. And then all of a sudden, she seems very content just to hang out in this mansion with this strange creature, beast man, and read books all day. She seems kind of fickle. Do you want adventure, Belle, or do you not want adventure? Pick. Number 13. Belle didn't know that the beast was cursed. Or at least we never see her being told. And I even went back and watched certain points thinking, well, maybe I missed that in the note taking. But no, we never hear the beast tell Belle, hey, I am cursed. I have to fall in love. Because I guess that would also then bring up questions. Is it really love or is she just doing it to help him because she thinks she needs to help him if it came to that? But so as far as she knows that this creature just has human characteristics but is actually an animal right? So how does she think this relationship is going to end? The two fall in love and what? This is borderline bestiality territory, really. How could this relationship have continued forth had the curse not been broken? Oh, I don't, I don't want to think about that. Number 14, did Disney do so many animal stories because human faces are hard to draw? Is that why um, Belle's nose disappears all the time as well? It's the Snow White effect. Sometimes her nose is there and sometimes it's not. I don't know. Number 16 or 15, 15, number 15, got lost. And then again, without Beauty and the Beast, we wouldn't have Tangled. This just keeps happening, doesn't it? So that moment when the magic should be gone and yet it still works, we get it in both movies. The flower is dead. The petal, the last petal has fallen we are meant to believe from the story at the very beginning of the movie that if that were to happen, the magic is gone and the beast is the beast forever. And yet it does not happen that way. There's still just a little bit of magic left um, for Belle to lean over her dead love, crying on his chest and, and turning him human. And this happens in Tangled as well. And I, I mean, I'm glad it happens because Eugene Fitzherber is just the most glorious of Disney men, but how, how does magic get to work when it should be gone? I, I 
guess I don't understand magic. And I'm not a fan of real magic in real life. So maybe this is, I'm having trouble with this. I don't know. Number 16. Why don't we ever see the witch again? I mean, is all the power in the flower itself that petal falls? But how, how did the flower know? <laughs> how did the flower know that Belle had said, I love you? Can the witch hear through the flower? Wouldn't that be interesting? Just how does this magic work? How, how does anybody know that the curse is over? Oh, number 17. I find Adam to be the most unattractive Disney prince. He's too... Uh, Michelangelo, David-esque, but with clothes on. His nose—it's like they said, "Oh, Bell's nose disappears sometimes. Let's just give him this big, angular Italian Renaissance nose." I—I I don't know. I just have never been a fan of of Adam and his long hair. I mean, he has pretty blue eyes, I guess. Uh. And number eighteen. Be our guest. I know I said it's one of my favorite songs, but it is also my favorite restaurant at Walt Disney World. If you have not eaten there, you you should you should definitely make that a priority. I I can't explain how in awe I am of the Imagineers and the architects and the artists. When you walk into this restaurant, you truly believe that you have stepped into the Beast's Mansion castle that you have walked into the ballroom and then you make a left and then you're in the West wing. It's just so spectacular what they've done. It, and the music is playing and the food's okay. They do serve you gray stuff. It's delicious. It is delicious. It's a cupcake, but it's delicious, but it is, it's an experience I think you should definitely have. And I make sure to eat there every time I'm at Disney world. And if you want to maybe take me along next time, I'd be happy to go to Disney world with you. I mean, I'm game at any time. Okay, so despite despite the kidnapping, we're we're done with the list. So let's let's wrap this up here for you. You've stuck around, I do appreciate it. Despite the kidnapping and the evil curses and the mob mentality, which we didn't even talk about, the main premise of the story is still really valid and important. A person, or in this particular instance, a creature, is more than just their outward appearance. There is often so much more of us to than what people see. You can't judge a book by its cover. And if we leave ourselves open to people that look different than us, think differently than us, believe differently than us, we might find that we have a lot more in common than different. And, and Belle really does that with the beast. And that was the whole point. And I know that. Another lesson, no means no, Gaston, no. No exceptions. No means no. Oh, and I guess a reminder that the weather can be fickle and can change dramatically in a single day. So always be prepared. All right, final wrap-up. Favorite scene? Guys, it's of course when Beast leads Belle down the hall hallway with her eyes covered, and then she opens her eyes, and there's a whole beautiful library in front of her with some of those stairs the ladders that then roll so you can get the top shelf. I mean, oh, I mean, I wouldn't immediately fall in love with anyone who was like, here you go, a library of your own with custom built-in shelving. Oh, that is the dream. Favorite song? I know I maybe bashed Belle calling the town provincial in an unkind way, but the song Belle and then the follow-up Provincial Life is and always will be one of my favorite Disney songs. Next to Santa Fe and Newsies, which one day we'll talk about Santa Fe, I promise. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell is the lyric that I sing the most, usually at work. So sorry to all my coworkers who have to randomly listen to me sing. I won't do that to you now. And I'm only just a little, uh, you know, I only feel bad just a little for them. 
and my favorite quotes. I, I had a hard time with this one. There wasn't one that really stood out. I think I really like when um, Bell calls Gaston positively primeval and the fact that he just doesn't get it and he thinks it's a compliment. kind of think that's funny. And a, a last takeaway that I have been thinking about a lot after this last rewatch because it really did feel different for me. I kind of anticipated going into the viewing, loving it as I have always loved it. And I do still love it despite what, 18 things, 17 things that we went over. I I loved this movie when I was little, but it does feel different to me now. And it's because of life experience. And I can, the thing I can do though, is respect that love and recognize the problems and storytelling at the same time. You can hold two feelings in your hand at once and it's okay. I mean, that whole thing that we can contain multitudes is, it's true, it's real, it's human, and it's honest. It requires grace and understanding, something we just desperately need more of today. And we need to recognize that in each other, that you can love someone or something and recognize that it might not be either the best thing for you or, um, you know, mean as much to you as it once did, but you can respect those feelings. Oh, all these feelings from just a little animated Disney film. Oh, and we won't talk about the live action one. I just have too many feelings about that one in general. So what do you think of Beauty and the Beast? I would love to hear your feelings or if you have um, issues with any of my opinions, please share them. Make sure you can, you can do that on social media or follow up in the comments here. Um, but let me know what you think about Beauty and the Beast. And a quick rundown of what else I've been watching. I made it through The Rescuers. I had... It's been a while since I'd seen that one. I had seen it before, but I was in desperate need of a rewatch, and I had kind of completely forgotten what it was about. And it's good. It's, it, I like the Little Mouse characters. Um, just the, the kindness and the earnestness of them, I really do enjoy. But that was about it. I didn't really watch any others. At this rate, it's very doubtful that I'm going to get through this list of 48. Oh, wish me luck. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. I will be back next Friday with a new episode. I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. The podcast is available just about everywhere. So if you could, please share it with those that you think might enjoy it. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at M. I didn't forget. At M. No I in girl. E-M, at Gnome Girl M, and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time. <laughs>